All right, sound is speeding. We are recording. Cool. All right, let's begin. Either they don't know, don't show, I don't care about what's going on in the hood. My name is Desmond Thorne. How are y'all doing? Like, it's been such a crazy time to be living through a pandemic and a revolution at the same time. But y'all, change is happening. Change is coming. Like, you know, I'm always cautiously optimistic about these things, but you know, this feels different. People have the time and the wherewithal and the communication and it's just really reached a boiling point and I just hope it continues. So, you know, before we get started with the show, I just wanna give a shout out to everybody who's been protesting, who's been fighting the good fight. Like, man, I've been in New Jersey since quarantine started. This is the longest I've been out of New York City in the six years that I've lived there. And uh, I didn't want to come here, uh, but you know, there is no strong arm like a black mama. When she calls you home, you go home. So here I have been and, you know, missing New York for several reasons. Of course, one of the reasons being like, I want to be part of those protests because fuck the NYPD. But also because, like, the suburbs are weird, y'all. Like, I start, I've been starting to do some weird shit. I've been starting to have suburban thoughts. The weird shit I've been doing includes running outside, which is, like, something that I never do. You know, if you were a fat kid in middle school having to do the mile run, you feel me on the scarring of that and the triggering of running outside? I just can't do it. It's just not my thing. Um, and also... Whenever white people hype some shit up too much, I instantly turned off by it, instantly. Like, white people be hyping up running, being like, oh my God, the runner's high. I just like, can't deal. It just like clears my mind. And like, yes, there's truth in that, but like, too much hype, calm down. I ain't try hummus until I was a senior in high school cause of y'all. And it's delicious, but y'all need to chill with some shit. And like, calm down with Lizzo. Lizzo's been making music for years and years and years and years and years. You know, just please back off a little bit. So welcome, 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 welcome to Adventures in Black Cinema. My name is Desmond Thorne. I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. And I'm super excited about this podcast. Like, this is a podcast where we're going to be taking a journey together through the vast world of Black film. Uh, each week, we'll be getting into the nitty gritty of a different film. We're going to be digging in. And we're going to be looking at these films through my lens. Through my lens as a Black filmmaker. I'm a director, a writer, producer, and actor. I do it all. I'm a renaissance. 
um, and also through the lens of me being a queer Black person, and also through the lens of me being a film programmer. Shout out to NewFest, New York's LGBTQ film festival. As a programmer at this festival, I essentially help them choose which films are going to go into the festival. And part of my mission in working with NewFest and part of NewFest's mission in general is to program diverse and inclusive work. And they've been doing it since before all this shit went down. So in terms of the revolution, definitely pay attention to the people who are making changes after all this happens, the people who aren't, of course, and also be sure to pay attention to the people and the organizations who are doing it before all this shit started, who have always been about the mission of diversity and inclusiveness. So let's give a round of applause to NewFest. Yes. Um, so yeah. That's the reason why I'm doing this show and Miss Amanda Seals, a good friend of mine for years, we've been creating together for a mad long time. Um, She encouraged me to start this podcast because like all my social media is about film. Like when me and her talk, it's always a pop culture kiki. So I am, I, I hesitate to call myself an expert per se, but like, I'm pretty damn close. Um, And I'm excited for this journey because it's not only for y'all, but it's for me as well. Like, I'm going to be learning and then filling in some certain blind spots. And um, it's going to be a fun time. Strap on in. So today's episode is called Adventures in Dealing and Dipset. And the film that we will be digging into, getting into the nitty gritty of, is a film called Paid in Full. So why is this episode called Adventures in Dealing and Dipset and we're talking about Paid in Full? Well, Paid in Full is about three young men who uh, eventually got into basically running the drug trade scene in New York City, specifically Harlem, in the 80s. Again, this movie made me miss New York so much. It's crazy. Um, And then Dipset, if you don't know, was the name of a hip-hop group out of Harlem that started in the late 90s and uh, gained prominence in the early 2000s. And the people in that group that was also known as the Diplomats were um, Freaky Ziki, Joel Santana, and Cameron, who is in this film as one of the leads. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of paid in full, I feel like it's time to take a little moment here and go over some rules, you know, some housekeeping. Um, uh, <laughs> we ain't gonna be talking about the help, by the way, speaking of housekeeping. The help is off, off fucking limits. Y'all should be ashamed for having a revolution happening and y'all going to watch the help for some insight? Get the fuck out of here. Okay, sorry, just, whew, I had a feeling there for a second. Um, so let's go over kind of like, since we're talking about Black film, you know, what is a Black film? Um, and these are all my opinions. I know Ava DuVernay has her, uh, rules, which kind of line up with mine, but these are, these are my rules, okay? So, I think the first thing that's very important for a Black film, um, you know, to state the obvious, is that there has to be a Black person in it gotta be a black person. 
Um, and I think uh, beyond there just being a black person, this film has to be about a black person. The black person, you know, should be the protagonist. We should be following their journey. A couple examples um, that come off the top of my head are a film like Ghost. Ghost is a film that has a black person in a prominent supporting role, would be Goldberg, of course. Um, but that's not a black film because that movie is not about her. It's about Patrick Swayze and his journey as a ghost. So, you know, it doesn't work. Um, it has to be, again, about this black person's experience. That being said, though, I would so be into like a spinoff film about Otome. And Whoopi Goldberg can still do it. She's still fucking got it. She's one of our best. Next rule. You know, it's good if you have a film that there's a black person in and, you know, uh, it's about them and their journey. But they're also, there's gotta be more than just one black person. I love to see a predominantly black cast because what ends up happening is if you have a film that is about a black person and then the only person there that's black it is from the white experience um driving miss daisy is a great example of that uh it pretty much is about morgan freeman but it's through the white lens so that shit don't count uh predominant black cast please because that means you are all you're getting a more full experience and it's not just like an ostracization of the black person um bonus points if you have an all entirely black cast um to my knowledge i don't remember seeing no white people up on eve's bayou and um that is the kind of excellence that i'm seeking at all times um you know, there's also extra bonus points involved if the film was directed by a Black person um, and also uh, had a lot of Black people in prominent crew positions in the film, meaning that, you know, behind the scenes, there was possibly a Black writer, Black producers, um, Black designers, and in terms of costume and in terms of like the set in terms of everything, I think when that happens, you get an even more specific Black experience. Just the more Black people that are involved in it, just the meatier that it gets. Um, and there are, of course, exceptions to every rule. Like, even just saying that, you know, we have films that are directed by Black people that I don't know if I would consider Black films. Like, Widows, to me, is a really good example. Um, Widows is a film directed by Steve McQueen. Uh, who is a Black person, obviously, and he has directed Black films before, but Widows being about a Black person and her experience, Viola Davis. There are some Black people in it. Cynthia Erivo's in it. Daniel Kaluuya is in it. And also um, Mr. Brian, who I love, Brian Tyree Henry. Um, they're all in it, but is it a Black film? I think that's a question that we will dive into at some point in one of these episodes. Um, and of course, there are Black films, believe it or not, that have been directed by white people. And, um, you know, of course, some of them are bad. Bad, 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 bad. And will not be invited to the cookout. But there are some that are like classics, like 
Beloved, directed by a white person. Um, the Wiz, directed by a white person. And of course, the classic example of classic examples, The Color Purple, directed by Steven Spielberg, who is, last time I checked, white. <gasps> so, um, yeah. When I have a, a, a guest co-host on the show, we will be going through a list of films, some of which you may find surprising or not, that are directed by white people that are considered black films, and we will decide if these films get invited to the cookout or not. And then at the very end of the podcast, when the podcast has come to an end, based on the tallies of people saying yay or nay to these films, we will send out an official invitation to these films. Um including those classics that I just named, because I think that those are invited. Um, And I think something that kind of goes along with those films that I was just talking about is that, like, one of the rules is the film must be accepted into the hearts of Black people. Like, those films are classics because we love them. We cherish them. So I think that is possibly the most important rule of them all. Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. So we're about to get into the nitty gritty of paid in full. Be patient. Um, I want to talk about some gay shit first. Um, And some gay shit is a segment that we will do every once in a while where I will break down something that's either gay that's happening in the media. Shout out to Jada Essence Hall, winner of RuPaul's Drag Race. First Black queen we've had win in a while. Or I will be talking about something that I've been experiencing in the media and give a little gay spin on it. And that's what I'm going to be doing today in talking about The Last Dance. If you don't know, The Last Dance is uh, an amazing docu-series, 10-part docu-series that has been uh, airing on ESPN. If you haven't seen it, watch it now. Find it on demand now because those music rights to the excellent soundtrack are going to uh, expire. And when The Last Dance comes on Netflix, the music isn't going to be the same and the music is part of what makes it fucking poppin'. So get on it. Um... And in seeing all this footage of Michael Jordan and the Bulls in the 90s, because um, that is what the docuseries is about, I was reminded of a time when I was a wee child and I saw posters and magazine covers of Dennis Rodman just kind of like expressing queerness with his hair and his earrings and his nails. I just remember thinking how hot he was when I was young. And I would absolutely, to this day, fuck 90s Dennis Rodman in a second. Um, I like what he stood for, for the most part, in terms of his queer expression. I think it's very rare that we have on our hands a straight male who does present as queer and does so with accuracy. And uh, I think sometimes when straight dudes do that, it's just like so dumb and almost like offensive. But there's something about when Dennis Rodman does it and the fact that Madonna actually inspired him to do it. I mean, that's that's just queer blessings right there. You just got blessed by the 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 white queen, you know. Um, So, yeah, I would have absolutely fucked Dennis Rodman in the 90s 
faux cheesy. And also, I had never had this thought before, but seeing old footage of Scottie Pippen, woo-wee, I would have absolutely fucked the shit out of Scottie Pippen. Oh man, like tall, beautiful, and like a kind of like an assistant in a way. Not to say that he was like Michael Jordan's assistant, that's disrespectful, but you know, um, just uh, someone who is excellent and kind of is excellent in a role that uh, helps everyone, I think is a beautiful thing. And you can really see that in his soul. Um, in terms of Michael Jordan, yeah, he's hot. But there's something that's kind of like a block there. Like, he's too much of a legend, I think. I almost have too much respect for him to say that I want to fuck Michael Jordan. But, I mean, I would. Um... So yeah, check out The Last Dance and like, let me know what y'all think. And again, check it out before that shit hits Netflix because it's dope. All right. So without any further ado, this is what you came for. You are here for one reason. One reason only. To learn. To learn. To learn. To learn. Yes. Yes, you indeed came here to learn a little something, something. So let's get into the nitty gritty of Paid in Full. So Paid in Full was released in 2002. Uh, it was directed by Charles Stone III, who also directed Drumline, that also was released in 2002. And I gotta say, um, I definitely wrote this movie off for years and years and years um, because this movie came out in a time where I think we were all kind of getting oversaturated with movies that were about black people, gangs, violence, just all this shit. And that was kind of like pushed through by the media. I feel like it was the media plus the old heads kind of coming together and being like, stop watching black men commit violent acts. So, you know, being a young person at the time, that kind of seeped into my brain. But now I'm kind of like, well, fuck that. Fuck that narrative, first of all. And also, uh, this movie really isn't about all of that. Um, though you may think by looking at the poster, uh, which is uh, our three lead actors, uh, Wood Harris, Mackay Pfeiffer, and Cameron, kind of standing in like a, a triangle formation, kind of looking like an album cover, with a photoshopped hand of a gun, like right under Mackay Pfeiffer's face. So it's... Uh, kind of misleading marketing in a way and does feel very early 2000s, though the film does take place in the 80s. And in terms of the early 2000s vibe, like, that was a very confusing time for all of us. Very confusing time for me personally. I was but a wee sixth, seventh grader trying to figure out, you know, things about my sexuality, things about my own identity. Um, and so I try to really block that time out of my mind. Um, and also I think it was a confusing time for all of us in terms of pop culture. The music at the time we didn't think was good at all. Like speaking of Cameron, at the time I thought Hey Ma was a bad song, but now that shit is popping. Like I think in retrospect, there's a lot of things about the early 2000s that we hated that now we kind of love. And I think that definitely includes this fucking movie. It is so slept on. It's almost criminal, no pun intended, um, because it's really 
really good. This movie tells the story of, um, a true story actually, of A.Z. Faison Jr., Alberto Martinez, and Richard Porter, who ended up really running most of the drug trade in New York City in the 1980s. Um, and it's such a fascinating story to see in some ways how people can kind of just like end up in a situation. Um, I have been there before. You just kind of like end up in certain things. Um, and the way that uh, AZ's character, whose name is Ace in the movie, kind of ends up drug dealing, it kind of makes you feel like, like, damn, well, it could be it could be any of us. He's just, you know, working at his job and a dry cleaner. He brings dry cleaning to this guy who happens to be a drug kingpin. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. And then, you know, Ace becomes the drug kingpin. Kind of makes you feel like, man, you know, if it wasn't so dangerous and illegal, I could do that shit. And I kind of love that... Um, Ace's character in terms of these narratives that I was just talking about, about gangbanging and violence and all this shit. Um, I love that Ace's character does state during the film that when he was making all this money, he loved that he could give back to the community with this money that everybody was eating, you know? And I think that that is kind of, if you're going to be dealing... That's an admirable thing to make sure that everyone is not only kind of like helping you out in terms of, you know, packing the drugs and selling the drugs and everything. But, you know, everybody, there's nobody that is hungry at this time. So in terms of this cast, whew, let's talk about this cast. Another reason why this movie is so fucking underrated. I am a person as a director and as an actor and a writer, I'm always thinking about the fucking actors. I think if your script is weak, that's one thing. You can't even really make a movie. But, you know, good actors can elevate a script that is not so great. Um, this script, I think, is actually really good. Um, but Wood Harris, the lead in this movie, uh, he plays Ace. He is fucking excellent. You probably know him from things such as um, Remember the Titans and The Wire. When you walk in the garden Watch your Yep. Um, so, I don't know if you know this, but it's been scientifically proven that uh, three quarters, aka 75% of all black films, will contain at least one nigger from The Wire. It's just a proof in fact. Um, and this film only has one in Wood Harris. It has three niggas from The Wire in it. Uh, obviously, Wood Harris is well known for playing Avon Box Barksdale on The Wire. Excuse me. <laughs> and um, we also have in this film Jamie Hector, who was known for playing Marlo on The Wire in a very small role. And also in a very small role, we have Hassan Johnson, who is known for playing Weebae on The Wire, who uh, I've met before and is a wonderful, lovely, dope person. Hi, Hassan. So yeah, that's something that we're gonna be doing on every show, every episode. When there's a nigga from The Wire, you will hear that sound and we will 
talk about it. We'll highlight that. Um, yeah, but Wood Harris, man, like he is so easy with it. I love watching a performance that just feels so easy and so laid back where you don't even feel like this person is acting at all. And I could really say that about the entire cast, just like really, really natural performances. And that's sometimes something that you don't get from movies that even I really like um, and hadn't, you know, put in the back burner like this one. Um, Makai Pfeiffer, first of all, I just had to take a moment because one of the sexiest men that has ever lived, to be perfectly honest, and again, gives us such an amazing sense of that New York swagger that again, made me miss New York so much. And okay, let's also talk a little bit about Mr. Cameron. So Mr. Cameron, as I said, was in uh, that group Dipset. Um, I don't really love a lot of his music per se, and I was not expecting a good performance from him. However, I gotta say, he was really fucking good. He surprised the shit out of me. I mean, like, uh, in comparing this film to another film, I would perhaps compare it to a Goodfellas. Um, Cameron's character is the Joe Pesci. He is the hothead. He goes off on pretty much nothing. There's a scene in this movie where he is pulling a man out of a car through his car window and then strips him to his boxers and his wife Bita and makes him run through the streets of Harlem just for mentioning someone's name that he didn't like. So that's the kind of crazy person that you're dealing with here. And it made me think, like, Cameron is so good in this. Um, I want to see him do more movies. It's not really all the time that you see a singer give a good performance in a movie period, but also uh, uh, someone who isn't necessarily like a legend at what they do in terms of rapping, giving a good performance. It's like, Cameron, maybe you should have been an actor. I don't know. Yeah, surprises shit out of me. And this is actually also his first performance in a film. And this film was produced by Damon Dash and uh, Beyonce's husband, Sean Carter. So this is a Rockefeller production. And from the outside, I think something else that detracted people from this movie was the fact that um, it kind of looks from the outside in um, that this was a movie that Rockefeller produced just to kind of get Cameron on. Um, and it looked like it maybe had no substance to it, but man, there's substance on substance on substance. One of my favorite fucking actors of all time is this movie, Miss Regina Hall. She plays Mackay Pfeiffer's sister. And again, you know, going on this thread about amazing performances, she's one of our best. And I think that she deserves more roses than she currently has. She has been gaining some steam over the years, though she's been working forever. And, you know, people have been recognizing her from Scary Movie, uh, which is also technically a black film, The Wayans Brothers. And yeah, I'm, I'm just, I just want the best for Regina Hall, always. Everything I see her in, she's excellent. Um, she does such a great job of balancing, you know, drama, the dramatic situation of the film, as well as some comedy chops in there. Just really beautiful, stellar work from her, per usual. And there's also some good performances in here from Ron Safis-Jones, Chi McBride, and another 
sexy man, Kevin Carroll, also known for playing John in the excellent HBO series, The Leftovers. He played Regina King's husband. In this movie, he wears like these really chunky 80s glasses sometimes that, you know, I would find unsexy on most people, but not him. Oh, oh boy. Okay, so now that we have jumped over that broom, um, I did just want to talk about a couple of moments from the film that kind of highlight some great filmmaking and also just some like funny shit in there. There's a line early on in this movie that Cameron says to Mackay Pfeiffer. He says, no ribs, no rice, no champagne. And I want that on a shirt. I think that that is actually going to go on my family crest when I have a family. Um, it just means so much in and out of context. And his line delivery is perfect. Like I said, Cameron is great in this movie. And also in terms of like the smart filmmaking that Charles Stone III employs here, there's a part where we flash back to the 80s or back a year from um, in the 80s where um, Ace, Wood Harris's character, has been shot he is in an ambulance and he looks over and he is not seeing like the side of the ambulance. He is seeing through the window of a dry cleaner, money falling out of the sky on the streets of New York. And that's how we flash back to him before he became this drug kingpin. And I think that's such a smart fucking way to do it. As a filmmaker, as a director, trying to find ways to do those things that can kind of come off as a little cheesy, like flashbacks and like voiceovers and such, to find a smart fucking way to do that is, it just shows how great that Charles Stone III is as a filmmaker. And, you know, having released Drumline in the same year, and these films are both so different, like the versatility that he has, I don't even think I could direct a film about a drumline at an HBCU starring Nick Cannon to, you know, a film about the drug trade scene in Harlem in the 80s. You know, it's it's quite a feat. And he was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award that year for Best First Feature for this film. And I think in conclusion, um, there's a part in this movie where you see all of them going to the uh, movie theater and seeing Scarface and kind of being like inspired by that. And I think as time has gone on, we have all realized that Scarface is a bad fucking movie. And I would love for as time goes on for us to recognize Paid in Full as an actual good movie. It's well-directed, pretty well-written, the cast is brilliant. Um, this should go down in the annals as a classic Black film. So if you haven't seen it, I urge you, just get on it, watch the movie, rent it on Amazon, check it out, and show it some fucking love, y'all. All my life I had to fight. That's right, Oprah. If you don't know what that's from, that is Oprah Winfrey from The Color Purple. She should have won an Oscar for that performance because she was acting. And every week we will be giving out a You Better Act Award for an excellent performance, an excellent Black performance like Oprah's. 
Some of these performances will be kind of more obvious, like that one. She was nominated for an Oscar, should have fucking won. And some of them, I think, will be performances that are, like, under the radar. Like this one that we're giving out today. This week's You Better Act Award goes to... Regina Hall in Support the Girls. You know, I was talking about Regina Hall earlier, so I don't know if this is that much of a surprise, but I also don't know how much of y'all know about this film. Support the Girls is a film that came out in 2018. Very underrated, very independent film. It is about a uh, manager of a Hooters-type restaurant, and that manager is played by Regina Hall, and it follows her through a day where uh, you see her relationships with her employees, um, two of which are played by Haley Lou Richardson and Shayna McHale, who is also known as the rapper Jungle Pussy, giving an amazing first performance like Cameron uh, did in Paid in Full. And yeah, goes through her day as she, um, one of her employees um, has been abused by her boyfriend and she needs help paying for her hospital bills, etc. So she sets up a fund, a car wash called Support the Girls. And it's also supporting the restaurant as well. And just like talks about like her shitty ass boss that she has, her relationship with her husband. It's a film that does, it takes on a lots of different styles. So it may be a little, you know, uh, it may be not everyone's cup of tea, but I fucking loved it. And it's worth watching for Regina Hall's excellent performance. You get to see her do drama chops, comedy chops, everything in between. And that year she was nominated and won so many critics' awards for this film and of course was not nominated for a Golden Globe, an Oscar, or a SAG Award, which she deserved, you know, tenfold. And we see this happen a lot. It happened last year with Lupita Nyong'o, who in fact won the most Best Actress um, Critics Awards and uh, did not get an Oscar nomination for her excellent work in Us. It's a goddamn shame that uh, these white institutions can't recognize excellent Black performances, specifically from women, that are outside a, uh, a slave perspective or a person being poor. You know, it's kind of crazy that we're still at that point. But, you know, you have the power to do your due diligence and check out dope shit like this performance from Miss Regina Hall. So check it out. Support the Girls is streaming now on Hulu. Go and check it out. So before we close this episode, I just want to give y'all some things to think about. Some food for thought, if you will. Uh, I just want to know from y'all, what are some films from the early 2000s or pretty much any time period that you feel like are kind of unsung and deserve a second look or reevaluation? Films that look like something on the outside, but are completely different on the outside and deserve our love and our respect. Let us know in the comments on the video. Also, hit us up on SFB Society. If you're not hip to SFB Society, join. I am a dean of discussion, repping the culture fam. Um, and also hit us up on social media, on Instagram, Adventures in Black Cinema. So thank you so much for joining me on this journey. Again, stay safe, stay Black, 
stay blessed. And I'm looking forward to, um, you know, continuing to do this with y'all. If y'all have any suggestions of films that you want to see me talk about, again, hit us up on all of those things that I just mentioned. And uh, stay tuned for our next film. Our next episode will be about waiting to exhale. You're not going to want to miss that one. Ugh, it's so, so, so good. Uh, and if you haven't seen Waiting to Excel and Need a Refresher, rent it on Amazon if you need. Uh, thanks again, y'all. Have a wonderful day.